The recording that you're about to listen to is a talk from the City Bible Forum. We would appreciate you respecting our copyright by not making copies of this talk or altering the content in any way. We hope that you find the material beneficial. If you would like more information on the City Bible Forum, you can visit us on the web at citybibleforum.org. Well, there's a newsagent near where I live, and the person who owns and runs this newsagent is originally from China. And he moved from China to Australia about 20 years ago. And at first he worked in a factory as an employee, but he left that job and now he owns and runs the newsagent. And the hours are terrible. He starts at 4.30 in the morning. He doesn't see his teenage son, and the only day he gets off is Christmas Day. So he works 364 days a year, no holidays, with a 4.30 a.m. start. But he tells me he is happier in this job than his previous job. Why? Because it's his own business. He works for himself. He is his own boss. In other words, he is free. And because he's free, he's happy. Well, welcome again to the forum. This month we're doing a series of talks called Four Keys to Happiness. Key number one was success. Last week was key number two, love. Today is key number three, freedom. And next week will be key number four, how to be true to yourself. And the purpose is to look at each of these keys to happiness, see what the Bible might say about them. I'll now give a 20-minute talk, and after that there'll be a 10-minute time for question and answer. And today's key to happiness is freedom. And we can define freedom as the power for me, the individual, to do what I want. It's the freedom to be my own boss. And we've just heard a story from the Bible where Jesus meets a man who has just that, the freedom to be his own boss. This man is young, rich, powerful, but Jesus says to this man, you still don't have everything. There's one thing you lack. This man does not have freedom. He's not free to walk away from what he has. And he's not free to follow Jesus. And this is the part of the story I don't get. And this is part of the story Jesus' disciples don't get. If the young person can't be free, if the rich person can't be free, if the powerful person can't be free, well, who then can be free? Well, today's talk is on freedom, and there's three parts to today's talk. First of all, we're going to look at what is freedom, then we're going to look at the problems of freedom, and finally, how we can be free according to the Bible. So let's come to the first part of the talk, what is freedom? Why do we want to be free? And here I've got two things to say. Number one, freedom is the foundation of the Western world. A few years ago, my wife and I went to Paris, and I studied French when I was in year seven high school, and I hated French. I just did not get French, so I dropped it as soon as I could after one year. And so I was in France, I know you meant to speak French, so I tried to speak French, my French was terrible, no one understood me. My wife didn't do any French, and people understood her just fine. Now, they have pedestrian crossings in Paris, and I thought pedestrian crossings are just like the pedestrian crossings back in Sydney. If you walk across them, as a pedestrian car should stop for you. But no, in Paris, if you walk across a pedestrian crossing as we did, thinking cars will stop for us, they, they come right up to you and they 
screeched right up front and this guy just let us have it with his horn. Bah! He was so unhappy that we had made him stop. And then my wife gave him a look and said, we are pedestrian, we're pedestrian. <laughs> just like that, my wife worked out how to speak French. You just got to get an English word and you got to mispronounce it. We are pedestrian, you moron, imbecile, idiot. Now, everywhere where we went in Paris, we also saw this motto on every building. Liberty, equality, fraternity. Freedom, equality, and the sisterhood and brotherhood of humankind. This is the French motto. It's the basis of the French Revolution. It's the motto of the modern Western world. Freedom. The USA Declaration of Independence 1776 says that all humans are created equal and we have the inalienable right to life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness, freedom. The Australian National Anthem, our very first line, Australians all let us rejoice. Why? Why are we rejoicing? Because we are young and we are free. Freedom. Our state number plates in Australia go like this. New South Wales were once the premier state. That's boring. Victoria, the garden state. More boring. If you go to USA, New Hampshire, this is their state number plate. Live free or die. Now that's a motto. That's something worth dying for. Freedom. It's the basis of our modern Western world. Freedom. That's why in the West we have democracy. We are free to choose the leader that I want. We have freedom of speech. I can say whatever I want. And we have the freedom of belief. I can believe whatever I want. Not what mum and dad tell me to believe. Not what organised authority tells me to believe. Not what the church tells me to believe, but I believe what I want to believe. This is freedom. And freedom is the foundation of the modern Western world. That's number one. Number two, what is freedom? Freedom promises us a good life. Freedom promises us a good life. Now, when we're a child, we have to do what our parents tell us to do. But at 18, we become an adult. And 18 is a key birthday in the Western narrative because at 18 we can buy a beer, we can have a passport and we can vote. No more school uniform. We can wear what we want. No more going to school. At uni we can skip lectures. No one cares. No more piano lessons for an Asian. Free, free, free at last. And if we have this freedom, we will have a good life. And not just us, society will have a good life. Adam Goods, Australian of the Year, on Australia Day said this, What I love about Australia is we have freedom. We can do things the way we want to do them. You can come to Australia, you can practice your religion, you can practice your beliefs, and you shouldn't be judged for it. See, the opposite of a free society is a repressive society, a society with honour killings where women are treated like property, where those who don't fit in with what society believes, where they're oppressed, they're put in prison, they're tortured, they're killed. I have friends who returned to Australia after six years of living overseas, and this is what they said when they came back to Australia. We are struck by the boundless 
freedom we enjoy here in Australia. It's freedom for our young girls to jump and for women to drive. It's freedom to laugh out loud and dress for the weather. It's freedom to vote for more than one party and to express your opinion. It's freedom to have access to healthcare, education, clean water, and even the government will pay for you to have children. It's freedom to walk stress-free in the streets without expecting the worst. It's freedom to have more than one choice in a supermarket. It's freedom to hope and to dream for a better tomorrow. See, freedom promises us a good life and a good life for the wider society. So that's what freedom is. That's why we want it. Now, what might be some problems with freedom? And this is the middle part of the talk. And here I've got two things to say. Well, what might be some problems? Well, number one, we are slaves to whatever we live for. We've become slaves to whatever we live for. And this is the first paradox of freedom. We are free to choose whatever we want, yes, but whatever we want now becomes our master. We serve it. In the story, the rich man is free to do whatever he wants. If he wants to be rich, he's free to do that. But his riches now become his master and he now has to serve his riches. He's a slave to his riches. According to psychologists, when a man hits midlife, he experiences a second adolescence, what we might call a midlife crisis. And the man feels trapped by three things, his body, his job, and his family. And so usually he lashes out. He tries to break free. He says it's about time I live for myself. And he tries to break free by quitting his job or making a big purchase or by leaving his family. But now he becomes a slave to a new reality. For my midlife crisis, I bought a Jeep. Now, it's only got four seats, so there's no room for me and the whole family. There's just room for me, nobody else. My wife wants to come, she can catch the train and meet me there. The roof comes off, so when I drive on the freeway, I get 80 kilometres an hour wind just peeling my face off. I arrive feeling physically assaulted. This Jeep is a monument to my personal freedom. But now I'm a slave to my Jeep. I have to pay for the petrol and the mileage is awful. Now I have a second car I have to pay for. Every year there's another set of rego bills and insurance. I'm a slave to a whole new set of bills that I never once had. In the 1960s we had a revolution. In the West, because of that, we now enjoy freedoms our grandparents never did. We have women's equality, we have contraception, we have freedom from old morals and traditions. But now we've become slaves to a new reality. According to Kurt Anderson, New York Times 2012, our new freedom of choice has only enslaved us to unchecked capitalism, consumerism and lending. And so now our freedom has a cost. We want the overseas holiday, we want the house, we want the car, fine, but we will have to pay for it by selling our freedom to the banks. And so now we're slaves to credit cards, 60 hour week jobs, 30 year mortgages. Sydney's housing prices went up by 12% last year. We're the second least affordable country to live in for housing. 
and we have a debt to income ratio of 180%. Australians all let us rejoice, for we are slaves to our banks. So that's the first problem of freedom. Usually we become slaves to whatever we are now living for. And number two, the second problem of freedom, we are slaves to our own fears. And this is the second paradox of freedom. We are so afraid of losing our freedom, we give up freedom just to keep freedom. Now, two years ago, my wife and I got to live in the United States of America, the USA, the land of the hamburger, where the hamburger is as big as a pillow. You could put your head on that and go to sleep. Where the packets of Doritos are bigger than your three-year-old son. This is the USA. But we also lived in America during 9-11. And President Bush told us that the terrorists hated us for our freedom. And so Bush started the war against terror to protect our freedom. But the war against terror became a new terror. It gave us Guantanamo, waterboarding, and the Iraq war. Over 100,000 Iraqi civilians died for our freedom. We're so afraid of losing our freedom, we give up freedom just to keep it. The French Revolution was fought in the name of freedom, equality, the sisterhood and brotherhood of humankind. It liberated us, the individual, from the rule of kings and the church. But it gave us a new terror, the reign of terror, the guillotine. Over 40,000 people were executed, most without a trial. See, we're so afraid of losing our freedom, we give up freedom just to keep it. Now, on Australia Day, we celebrate our freedom. We began as a prison colony, but we got rid of our chains and we became our own free country. Unlike the USA, who had to fight a bloody war to become free from England, we did nothing, and our freedom was handed to us. And I think that explains the difference between Americans and Australians. Americans, they always have to fiddle with things. Australians, we just leave things alone. The Americans, they had to put a man on the moon. The Australians, leave the moon alone. What's it ever done for you? But in the last few years, there's been an ugly side to Australia Day. Only a few years ago on Australia Day, mobs ran through Manly Beach, draped in Aussie flags, and they began chanting, if you're Aussie and you know it, clap your hands. And that soon changed to, if you're white and you know it, clap your hands. So we might be free as a country, but our hearts are still trapped in the chains of fear, insecurity, darkness, and hatred. And that's a double problem, the double paradox of freedom. We are trapped by whatever we are freely living for, and we are trapped by our own hearts. Our hearts aren't free. We're afraid of the other, we're afraid of losing our freedoms, and we give up our freedoms just to keep our freedoms. So that's the problem of freedom. So how can we be free? So this brings me to the final part of the talk. What does the Bible say about how we can be free? Well, two things. Number one, live for Jesus. In verse 22 of that story that we heard read to us, Jesus says to the rich man, well, come, 
Come, follow me. How can we be free? Jesus says to the rich man, follow me. That's how we can be free. By following Jesus, by giving up everything to follow Jesus. Now, a few years ago, I went on a canyoning trip with some friends in the Blue Mountains. And we spent 16 hours hiking in Kanangra Falls Canyon. We abseiled down 10 waterfalls and then we had to rock hop our way back out of the canyon. And we were exhausted afterwards. But we still had a three hour drive back to Sydney. So we took turns driving that night. We had a very simple system. One of us would drive and the other three would sleep in the car. And then we just changed drivers every 30 minutes. When it was my turn to drive, I was so tired, but I knew I had to stay awake. So I just stayed awake, stayed awake, stayed awake as I drove. And at the end of my 30 minutes, I pulled over. And I got out of the driver's seat. We swapped drivers, the new driver took over. I climbed into the back seat, and I remember lying down, closing my eyes, and falling asleep. And going, sleep is so sweet. And then I opened my eyes, and I found I was still driving. I had dreamt the whole sequence of swapping drivers. See, I needed to change drivers. I needed to swap drivers. And Jesus is saying, we need to swap drivers. Whatever is driving our life right now, we need to swap drivers and let Jesus drive our life. See, something is driving our life right now because we're all living for something. If we're not living for something, we've got nothing to live for. So what are we living for? Are we living for ourselves? Well, this is going to end in loneliness. Are we living for success? Well, there's always going to be another mountain to climb. Are we living for money? Well, there's always going to be more money to make. Are we living for respect? Well, there's always going to be whispers behind our back. Are we living for family? Well, we're never ever going to be the perfect son or daughter, the perfect father or mother, or the perfect husband and wife. Whatever we live for would never be enough. And so it becomes this cruel master that drives and drives and drives us and it asks too much from us. It makes us its slave and it traps us and it robs us of our life and freedom and it fails to deliver the happiness that it promises. But Jesus says, change drivers. Come, follow me. And I will drive your life. I love you just the way you are. And I will fulfill you. I will give you the security. I will give you the reputation. I will give you the family that you're looking for. Come to me and you'll be free. So that's the first thing the Bible says about being free. Come, follow Jesus, follow him. And the second thing the Bible says is Jesus will give us a new heart. A heart that is free. In the story that we heard, in verse 26, it says this, Those who heard this then asked Jesus, Well, who can be saved? Or, using our motif, who can be free? And Jesus replied, Yep, what is impossible with people is possible with God. So remember our second paradox of freedom. It was that we're not just trapped by what's outside of us, we're actually trapped by what's inside of us, our hearts are slaves to fears, insecurities, darkness and hatred. We're afraid. We're afraid of losing the little we have. We're afraid of falling behind. We're afraid our children might fall behind. We're afraid of what others think of us. 
And so we're trapped by our fears and insecurities. How can we ever get free? And Jesus says, yep, yep, it is impossible to get free. By our own devices, we will never be free from the darkness, the hatred, the fears and insecurities inside of us. But with God, all things are possible. We need a miracle from God to free us from our insecurities, where God gives us a new heart, a heart free, free to follow Jesus, free to worship Jesus. And in Jesus, we'll find all the love and belonging we need. We'll find all the status and respect that we need. We find all the worth and honour that we crave for. So I don't have to give up my freedom to chase for those things. I have them in Jesus, and that's how my heart is set free. See, freedom doesn't come from national anthems or declarations of independence or state number plates. It doesn't come from what we own or don't own. It doesn't come from what others say or don't say about us. Freedom comes from the heart. And Jesus gives us a new heart. A heart that is happy and fulfilled in Jesus. A heart that is free. Now today we looked at this topic, freedom. And there are three parts to the talk. We looked at what is freedom. We looked at problems with freedom. And finally we looked at what the Bible says about how we can be free. We can be free by living for Jesus. And freedom comes from the heart. And Jesus gives us a new heart. A heart that is free. Janis Joplin once famously sang, Freedom is just another word for nothing left to lose. And I think she's half right. Because if we're living for something, that's going to enslave us and trap us. So she's saying we've got to live for nothing. Have nothing left to lose. And this will set us free. But by itself, this is nihilism. Because there's nothing to live for. But Jesus gives us the other half of the equation. Not nothing to live for, but someone to live for. Live for Jesus, and he will set us free. So how can we be free? Well, I owe this illustration on this example to Caro. She pointed out that Andrew Chan is one of the Bali Nine in prison in Indonesia, about to be executed. And a few years ago, when Andrew Chan was in solitary confinement, He heard the words from Jesus, and he believed in Jesus, and he decided to follow Jesus. And before his court case, Andrew Chan said he prayed. He prayed these words, God, if you're real, and if this is true, I want you to free me. And if you do, I'll serve you every day for the rest of my life. Well, Andrew Chan said, I went to my court hearing, and they convicted me, and they gave me the death penalty. When I got back to my cell, I said, God, I asked you to set me free, not kill me. And God spoke to me and said, Andrew, I have set you free from the inside out. I have given you life. And from that moment on, I haven't stopped worshipping him. I had never sung before. I never led worship until Jesus set me free. So you and I want to be free. But whatever it is we're living for won't set us free. We're trapped by what we live for. And we're also trapped by our own hearts on the inside. So how can we be free? Well, Jesus gives us a new heart. And he gives us a new someone to live for. So how can we be free when the words of Jesus come? Follow me. 
do other cultures um, at not have the same high value for freedom? I mean, what, what is it about other cultures? Why is it that we, the Western culture does have such a high value for it? And why maybe other cultures don't? Wow. Okay, so the question is, what about other cultures? Do they have a high value for freedom? Or is this just a Western thing? Where does this work? Well, a good way of understanding cultures is... Um, uh, understanding them on spectrums, of dichotomy and spectrum. So it's not a black and white, either or thing, but we all, as cultures, belong somewhere along the spectrum. So one way of understanding cultures is the, um, I guess, hierarchy, egalitarian scale. So as Asians, we're very big on hierarchy. Germans are very big on hierarchy, whereas Aussies and Americans might be much more on the egalitarian side of things. Another way of understanding things is achievement versus acquirement. So some, say, Asian countries are much more on acquirement. We are who we are because of our parents, our heritage. Uh, Western cultures, well, it's much more achievement. You need to earn it. You need to study hard. Another one, then, is, is it the individual freedom versus collective society responsibility? And that, that is what that question is really asking. Where on this spectrum are we? Are we more for individual rights and freedom or we for collective personal responsibility. So a good example is the vaccination debate. So I, as an individual, I have a right not to get vaccinated, but I have a collective responsibility to society to get my children and myself vaccinated because of what it does for society. So that's an, an example. Another one is the motorcycle helmet law. Uh, like, so in Australia, we make our motorcycles wear helmets. In America, they don't because it's live free or die. They'll prefer death without a helmet. <laughs> I live free without a helmet. I'll die without a helmet. And again, is it individual freedom not to have a helmet? Or do I have a collective responsibility to the healthcare system not to be a burden on it and wear a helmet? So, so the question is, yes, other cultures are much more down to collective responsibility. So take Singapore, for example. They can ban chewing gum. In Australia, how dare they ban chewing gum? I have a personal individual right to chew gum. Well, Singapore, being an Asian country, confusionism says, well, you have a collective responsibility to keep your society clean. So other cultures are much more down the collective responsibility side. Thanks. Now, um, you talked about Jesus giving us opportunity for mm. freedom, but uh, there's two sides to this yes. question here. Is that, uh, one, are you really advocating that we're just slaves to Jesus? Mm -hmm. And then if we are, or what, that mean, what does that mean, I guess? But then also... Um, what if he asks us to do things we don't want to do? Mm. Is that really freedom? Okay, it's a good question. So am I saying now we should be slaves to Jesus? And how is that freedom? What if he makes me do things I don't want to do? That doesn't sound great, freedom. All right, so then let me answer in three parts. Part number one, uh, the word slaves uh, has, has a wide range of meanings. And often, because of our Western heritage, we think of what slavery meant in the last two to three hundred years. And it has a very negative connotation because of what happened in the name of slavery in the last three hundred years. But two thousand years ago, in, in the culture of Jesus, slavery had a very different meaning. It was in the end, you had to serve someone, you had to work for someone. So if I was in debt and I'm going to pay off something, I'm going to actually sell myself into slavery or servanthood to a household, work for the household pay off my debt, and then I'm free. I'm a free person here, so I'm not permanently a slave. And not to minimise what's going on there, but it's very similar to what we do today. I want to pay off a car, I want to pay off a house. I sell myself to a bank for the next 20 or 30 years until I pay that off. So actually we are serving or slaves to a bank. 
because we have a mortgage, we have, have a loan account. So it's very similar. So, so what I'm saying with the word slaves is we have to serve someone. Number two, what sort of freedom is this? Well, in the end, we all have to live for someone. That's the point I was making. If we're not living for something, we've got nothing to live for. Uh, so we have to live for someone. But whatever we live for will be a cruel master. A cruel master. In the words of Timothy Keller from New York, if we find what we're looking for, it won't fulfill us. It will fail us. And if we fail what we're looking for, it won't forgive us. These are cruel masters that drive and drive and drive us. So the other option is, well, live for nothing. That's a Janis Joplin solution, but then that's nihilism. I do need something to live for, which is that we'll have it. He's someone to live for. I'll give you, and and that that gives us a new direction. And Jesus is a kind master. Because when we find him, he will fulfill us. That's what that last verse means, which we never got into. But he says, I'll give you more family, more houses, more riches than what you could dream of. And then even eternal life in the life to come. But in this life, you'll be richer. And in a real sense, we're richer because we have a wider network of love and mercy that we enjoy as followers of Jesus. But in a deeper sense, we are set free and we find things more fulfilling. Because now we have the security, the respect, the honour and the family that we're craving for in in, in that sense with Jesus. Now, third part of the answer then, well, what about if Jesus asked me to do something I don't want to do? That doesn't sound like freedom. And to answer this, uh, you may have heard this answer before, but I point out that with God, no matter what he asks us to do or he doesn't ask us to do, that will maximise our pleasure. It won't minimise our pleasure. The very first command in the Bible is to have sex. Lots of sex. It says you've got to fill the earth. That's a lot of sex you've got to do. You've got to fill the earth with babies. Okay, first command in the Bible is to have sex. First miracle in the New Testament from Jesus is water and wine. Not just some wine, but lots of wine and lots and lots of good wine. So here we have sex and wine. So the Bible trying to show us that God is the party God. This God is not trying to hold back pleasure from us. He's trying to maximise pleasure. And of course, because he's the God who invents pleasure, the God behind the fun and the pleasure, if we do it on his terms, we will have more fun than we dream of. Because he's designed fun. Now, if you're like me, you think, oh, you know, I don't know about this Christianity thing. If I believe in Jesus, I'm going to miss out. The Bible says that's the opposite. By not following Jesus, by not doing what he says, we will miss out. Because he actually has our best intentions. And it's not just a utilitarian thing. Hey, I'm just going to forgive your sins. Uh, he's going, no, no, I'm going to give you a very rich, fulfilling, flourishing life. And I think that's what that last verse means. We live life on Jesus' terms. We don't miss out on life. We maximise life, eternal life in this age, Jesus says. Oh, and also in the life to come. So life in all its fullest. Mark. Uh, reading question here. Uh, now, the God of the Bible knows everything mm-hmm. and knows what humans are going to do. In what sense, then, are humans free to choose? Oh, okay. God knows everything anyway. Okay, if God in the Bible knows everything, and we could even add to it, maybe pre-programmed everything, in what sense am I free by being pre-programmed? Okay, so this is a very good theological, religious question, and it's also a very good philosophical question. And even in philosophy, there are two extremes of thought here. There's determinism, where our choices are predetermined. And even in secular philosophy, we talk about social determinism, don't we? I, I could do no other. I'm a part of my society. Behavioural determinism, genetic determinism. is in my genes. I could do no other. 
And then we have libertarian free will. That to be free, we really do need choices. So, um, so which one is it? Well, in philosophy and in theology, we know well our third position are both and position. Okay, we do have free will, so we are accountable and responsible for the choices that we make. But at the same time, there are factors out of our control. Uh, and, and they do determine a little bit of who we are or a lot of who we are. And the Bible says it's the both hand. God knows everything. He, he's in charge. But at the same time, we are free. How does this work? Well, there's a third dimension called compatibilism where it's a both hand rather than either or. How can this possibly work? Well, here we understand it's not that it's irrational, not that it's insensical, but right now I can't picture or imagine how this works. So it's like if someone said, I want you to imagine a 2,375-sided uh, so polygon made with matchsticks. I can, um, I can conceive of that. That's a logical thing. I just can't imagine that in my head. And what happens is rationally this is conceivable that God is in control, yet we have free will, although we can't imagine how that works. But I, I can give a much longer answer if someone wants to. Want, wants me to. Yes. <laughs> all right, we're running out of time. We still have a couple of questions. Sorry, we won't be able to get to all the questions here today. So hopefully, if you do have another question, come on up and talk to Sam after the talk today, too. One is, isn't religion all about rules and restrictions? Why do religious people always seem so miserable? Okay. Isn't religion all about rules and restrictions? Why do religious people seem so miserable? All right, so obviously you want me to say, no, it's not. But let me explain why it's not. Uh, with Christianity, it's all about following Jesus. It's a relationship with Jesus. So it's being rather than doing. And it's often it's hard. Like, how do I explain marriage to someone who's not married? And really, I am in a relationship with my wife, Stephanie. It's being rather than doing. I am in a relationship. That's how it works. And I am in a relationship with Jesus. But how I express that relationship might be different. So how do I express my relationship with my wife, Stephanie? Well, sometimes I do what she tells me to do, okay? Sometimes I'm very emotional. I might write a poetry and sing songs to her. Other times I might want to rationalise it, you know, think about it. So there are different ways of expressing it. It's the same with following Jesus. What makes following Jesus is following Jesus. It's being in a relationship with Jesus. And because of our personality types, we may have different ways of expressing it. Some of us love tradition, so we express our relationship with Jesus in the traditions and the rituals, which some of us might find very refreshing. We do that in marriage. We have an anniversary. I remember her birthday. Rituals are very important for enriching a relationship. Other of us express it emotionally through, through aesthetic experiences made with Jesus. Otherwise, others of us love rationalizing. Let's think about it. Let's come up with a system here and understand what he said to us in the Bible. But we all have different ways of expressing our relationship. So why are Christians so boring and miserable? Well, I think um, God does that to keep us humble. There's an amazing verse in the Bible that says, You know what? You know what? I chose you. I chose you. Not because you're, you're cool, hip, trendy, exciting, but because you are boring, miserable, dull, annoying. But I still chose you. And it's the same relationship dynamic I have with my wife. I sometimes think, I can't believe you wanted to marry me. Well, like, look at me. I'm boring, dull, and annoying. But you chose me. You chose me. And it's the same. God is saying, hey, just so you don't get a big head, I chose you not because you're cool, hip, or trendy, but because you're dull, boring, and miserable. So when we go to church, we think, yep, God, you're right. Everyone here 
You're an amazing guy, but I'm not so sure about the people. <laughs> the recording that you have just listened to is from the City Bible Forum. For more information about City Bible Forum events in your city, or to order other talks, please visit citybibleforum.org.